0: Let me start with this. Customers are willing to pay 41% higher fees when they work with a financial advisor they trust more than a financial advisor they trust less. That's trust premium. Last week, I received the first results from my first group of panel surveys, which I used to assess the trust premium of financial advisors this time. I chose financial advisors as the first group simply because, well, I have a friend who's a financial advisor actually a few in this episode i will explain how the survey took place some of the results from the study and explain what's next a survey like this has never been done before and the results are groundbreaking i'm really excited about the work that i'm doing on researching and affecting the trust premium for salespeople service providers and professionals in any industry I have to admit that given my new research, I was tempted to change the name of this podcast to the Trust Premium Show, but I won't. My focus remains on trust in general, inside and out. My Trust Premium work is the outside of trust, but I continue my work on the inside of trust as well, inside organizations, inside relationships, in being trusted, building trust, and knowing who to trust. But today, I'll talk about the Trust Premium research, and specifically for financial advisors. Right after this. Let me start by telling you about the methodology that I used in this study. You know, every good research starts with how did you do it? What what was the plan? And, And so I'll start with that. I developed a survey that had 86 questions. Now, it's important to know that I didn't just develop the survey and that was it. I talked to people that used financial advisors. And I started asking them questions along the different components of my relative trust model as it relates to to financial advisors, uh, along their personal context, uh, along the, the industry context. And I asked them questions, and, and I wanted to say several things. One of them was uh, whether the questions make sense, whether they're easy to understand. Even when I was done writing those questions, I, I took it to several people to try and see if they still understood it and that there are no issues. Um, and, and that's called the pilot study. So I, I didn't consider the output from those uh I'm not going to call them surveys. They were more kind of interviews using a survey as as the platform, but uh, it was a pilot study um, to finalize what the actual survey is going to be. So the survey has 86 questions, uh, and one thing that that I acknowledged is that different industries behave differently. And, uh, you know, about five years ago, when I did my initial, uh, I'm I'm not going to call that a study, it was really kind of a survey when I tried to understand in the context of a remodeling, a home remodeling project costing about $10,000, I tried to assess that uh, trust premium. And the trust premium I had back then was uh, about uh, 20, well, not about, it was 29.6%. But I realized that different industries behave differently. And so I decided to choose one industry. I started with financial advisors. I mean, I could have started with anything else, but I started with financial advisors. Now, uh, I would obviously um, disqualify participants who are not planning or not currently using a financial advisor. So the first question was actually a qualification question. Are you using? Have you been using? Are you considering using a financial advisor? If the answer is no, then obviously that's not somebody I want to ask. So I got a total of two hundred twenty-three responses. Uh, One hundred sixteen were were disqualified by sentiment, uh, and I should state that I, after interviewing several multiple panel companies, I found that I had the best the best alignment and and. Uh, uh, you know, they met my needs the most, a company called Sentiment, starting with a C. So the word Sentiment, but starts with a C. And um, they disqualified 116 of the 223 uh, for several reasons. One of them is because they're not using, that was the qualification question. Another one was age and gender distribution. So they wanted to make sure that we have enough age and gender distribution and so, at some point, as they were collecting their input, uh, they they were checking to see that we have enough of a certain gender, enough of a certain age. So we're down to 107, and the reason 107 was because seven were disqualified by me, and that left us with 100 qualified responses. and And I'll talk more about why I um, why I disqualified the seven. One question was built by them actually to uh, um, check the attention. So at some point, I was just asking them to check a specific answer, a specific uh, one of the the four possible four or five possible answers to check a specific one to see if they're paying attention and they're not just going you know straight. those those panelists are people that they used before that they qualified over multiple surveys. They are getting paid. For it. I don't know who they are. the sentiment uh, probably I'm not even sure that they know for for sure who they are, but those are people that continuously uh, field surveys and had no issues uh, with previous researchers like me. Uh, I, I even inserted two jokes. As mental breaks, because after all, going through 86 questions, uh, it took, on average, I looked at the time that it took to fill the surveys, on average, it took about 10 minutes. Some took less, some took more. Uh, but, you know, when it takes 10 minutes, even when it takes 10 minutes, uh, it makes sense to kind of insert. So I inserted two uh, politically correct jokes so nobody would get offended by, by anything Um but uh, it, it was kind of mental breaks to keep them engaged. There are several sections in this survey, so the eighty-six questions were split among. The first question was obviously the qualification question: Are you using? Are you considering using a financial advisor? Two of the demographic of the overall nine demographic uh, questions. Two of them were up there at the front. Those are the age and gender to get better distribution, as I said. Um, then there were thirty-two questions about financial advisor, trustworthiness. So those are the different components of my relative trust model. Uh, and and it's just that I'm assuming that across industries, even the same components of my relative trust model would have different weights and different importance levels uh, in in different industries. So I wanted to know, What do they consider? And and I'll go through the details a a little later in in this episode, but um, how important or or how each one of those components and and the items within those components would affect uh, my decision to use one versus the other, my decision to trust one over the other. Then there are five questions along transferability. And transferability, that's trust law number five, that trust is transferable. If I trust you and you trust somebody else, that I will trust that somebody else. So uh, things like, uh, do I rely on uh, reviews, online reviews by people I don't know? Do I rely on personal recommendations? Do I rely on references that the financial advisor or whoever that would be uh, gave me? Four questions about financial advisor context. So this is a context of uh, their specific work. Five questions about the premium to calculate the premium, and I'll get to that. Uh, actually, that's the next section in this episode. Um, three questions about your willingness to recommend. That's kind of in the future. Uh, eight questions about your personal context. So, you know, for example, um, do you consider yourself to be financially in good shape or not and and so on? How does that affect uh, your decision? And that, you you know, even though we're talking about financial advisors, that would be a question, for example, that would apply to any business uh, because a lot of our financial decisions or, or our willingness to pay a premium depends on how do we consider our own financial situation. Then eight questions about trustfulness, So remember that the level of trust that I have in a financial advisor is the product of their trustworthiness, but also my trustfulness, my willingness to trust others. And that is important to to determine whether um, or how much do I trust them. Seven questions about the industry context. Uh, Six questions about the consequences and the severity of the consequences uh, to me. Uh, because that would affect uh, how important is trustworthiness. So, you know, for example, uh, and I gave that example uh, two weeks ago, if I'm hiring a headshot photographer, the consequences are, if if I they did a bad job, the consequences are, I have to hire somebody again, I lost the money, I lost the time, but that's it, it's not a lot of money, it's not a lot of time. But the consequences of, have, of making the wrong decision by hiring a wedding photographer, well, those are more significant because... Let's face it, we're not going to get married again. Uh, so six questions about consequences. Uh, more demographics at the end. I, I I typically don't like to put demographics at the front. Um, I found that it's better to put it at the end. Uh, so a total of nine questions, uh, nine demographic questions, seven of them are uh, at the end, two at the front. Those are the age and uh and gender for better distribution. And and then I added a question about how do you feel today? I I don't know that that's gonna be relevant, but I'm gonna see correlation. And as I mentioned, I I disqualified seven of the surveys myself, uh, and I'll actually talk about that in the next section. So let's talk about the trust premium and how did I reach that 41, actually 41.0%. I typically go one uh, digit after the uh, decimal point. So how did I calculate it? I I did something very similar to what I did five years ago in 2018 uh, with that remodeling project that that gave me the 29.6%. So I asked this question. Consider two financial advisors, one that you trust and one that you don't. But I made it clear that the one that you don't is really an average. So it's not that you distrust them. It's not that you have a reason to not trust them. It's just that you trust one over the other. That's it. That's as simple as that. And I did make it clear that there is nothing there that would cause you to absolutely not distrust them. And the reason is because I believe that then the premium is going to be, you know, unlimited Uh Simply because, you know, one of them you're never going to do business with, period. Then the first question was, if the price was the same, if they both asked for the same price, which one would you choose? A, the trustworthy one, not sure, A or B, B, the cheaper one, the average one, or none of them? Um, then I asked if the price was 10% higher. Which one would you choose? Again, same options. Next question, if the price was 20% higher, same options, 50% higher. Uh, In 2018, I did not put in 100%. This time I decided to add 100%. And I'll tell you one thing, I'm glad that I did. So when the price was identical, 90 out of 100 chose A, the, the trustworthy one. 10 said that they're not sure between them, which I interpret as trustworthiness is not a, as big a factor for them as it was for others. And, you know, when, when I get to analyze uh, the correlation between different factors, I, I will try and see what was unique about those 10 who to whom trustworthiness was not uh, the most important part and there's something else and they're not sure. Then I disqualified seven. So I disqualified seven based on their answer to this question, to what happens when the price was identical. So first of all, I disqualified those who throughout the entire survey said, we have a preference for A, but then said, we're we're choosing B, because that just does not make sense. And if that doesn't make sense, then I can't rely on the answers to the other questions that they gave, which is too bad. But... Uh, and, and you know in in a couple of cases, what I saw was that somebody was just feeling straight the same answer to all questions. So you know you can you you will have things like that, and so this is why the bigger the sample, the more reliable and credible the sample is. Um, the more you can trust or rely on the results. Then I disqualified those who indicated an intent to hire. we want to hire. But then they chose. We're not choosing any one of them when the price is identical. So the price is identical. I'm not choosing any one of them. Uh, not that I'm not sure, but I'm just not choosing any one of them. To me, it means that uh, well, either you just pick that answer, or um, you don't have any intention. This is not something you think about right now, which is fine, but not appropriate for our survey. So this is how we started out of 107 and we were down to 190 who said to the question, same price, 90 said we're choosing A, the trustworthy one, 10 said not sure, which means trustworthiness is not the most important factor. And there are other factors that we didn't talk about. And they're not price because the price is identical. Then I asked about what if uh, the trustworthy one asked for 10% more? 77 out of 100 were willing to pay 10% more. 14 were not sure, between A and B. Eight preferred the price, the cheaper one, B. And one decided I'm not hiring anyone. So trustworthiness is important to me as long as the price is the same. But if the price is not the same, then I'm not hiring anyone. Uh, I'm not not hiring somebody who I don't trust enough and I'm not hiring somebody who's charging 10% higher. So to give you a sense, what I do with that is 77% were willing to pay 10% higher. So that's really a 7.7% premium. Half of the 14% who said uh, were not sure between them, half of them would be A, and half of them would be B. So I gave another half of the 14% of the 10% uh, premium, which really gave me a 0.7% premium. So there's not a lot of impact. And, and that's how I calculated the premium. So I got 8.4% premium just for that from that question. 50 were willing to pay 20% more, which is another 10% higher. 28 were split between them. So again, I'm considering half. So that adds another 6.4% premium, so on, so forth. Uh, so here's an interesting thing. were willing to pay 100% higher price. That's high. I did not expect at at 100% higher price. At double the price, I did not expect to have 22% saying I'm still hiring the the trustworthy one. So I could have asked for more. Uh, So how about 120% and so on, Uh, which would mean that the answer, the overall premium, once everything is added up, will actually be higher than 41%, but I didn't go higher than 100%, and I'm not gonna go higher than, than 100% with any of the um, future surveys I'm gonna do. Now, uh, I wanna say a few words about uh, something that's called the error margin. Obviously, I'm I'm asking people, it's a sample, Uh, sentiment, again, with a C. They have a calculator on their website, which is really very easy to use. Uh, There is a formula that considered several factors. One is the size of the population overall. Two is the size of the sample. Three is the confidence level that I want to achieve. And then you get to the, uh, the error margin. What is the error margin or how erroneous can your answers be? Again, this is statistically. So I chose a confidence level of 95%. And and to explain, again, what confidence level is, I'm using their words, the probability that your sample accurately uh, represents the opinions of your population, the industry standard is 95%. Uh, By the way, I even checked it with 99%, I'll tell you in in a minute. Something to know is that when the population size goes beyond 1,600, For a sample of 100, it doesn't matter. And the population, obviously, the overall population is huge. I mean, hundreds of millions, right? People. So it it doesn't matter once you go above 1,600. So I took a sample of 100. With 100 surveys, you get 10% error margin. So essentially, the answer to every question could be plus minus 10% to stay within 95% probability that the sample accurately represents the opinion of your population. I know that this sounds a lot of math and all, but but it still means that the the results are pretty resu- uh, robust. By the way, if I chose a ninety nine percent confidence level, which is the highest you ever choose, uh, then the the error margin would have been thirteen percent, plus minus thirteen percent. In general, it's better to be between two percent and seven percent. And and I looked at the numbers. Um, it, a two percent would require a sample of Uh, Just about 1,500 people, 1,500, 1,600 people, and 7%, which would be on the worst side, would require about 175. Now, I can do 175, but the thing is, I'm going to do multiple groups. As soon as I hit the next group with another 100 samples, I'm already past 200. I'm already past the 7%. And then it goes on from there. You know the next hundred, the next hundred, the next hundred. Uh, by the time I I have my fifteenth uh, survey, I'm going to be at the two percent error. So so the uh, error margin. So it's going to be whatever the number is plus minus two percent. Let me talk about the different uh, parts of the survey. So th- there was a part, as I said, I think it had thirty two questions. Um, Financial advisor trustworthiness. So the different components of my relative trust model, broken into multiple items per each one of them, and um, the questions were like that. If financial advisor A was X, whatever this this feature or or this this behavior was, like for example, they were certified. Okay. Uh, or they um, they know what they're doing. The the quality of their presentation. So things that that address the first component, which was uh, competence. So I'm I'm showing that if A, financial advisor A was one of the items of competence and B was not. And obviously all the fi- all the features were positive features because I wanted the consistency of how I look at the results. Uh, and the five options I gave were, one, this will not affect my decision to hire A over B, or I'm a little more likely to hire A over B, or I'm more likely to hire A over than B, or I'm much more likely to hire A than B, or I will definitely hire A over B. So I gave different levels anywhere from it's not going to affect and, and because it's all positive, then, then it's all likelihood of hiring A over B and not B over A because it doesn't make sense. If you, you're telling them that one of them is more competent than the other, I mean, the, the worst that can happen is they're going to say it's not going to affect. It's not going. They're not going to say, well, I'm going to hire the second one because the first one is more competent. That just doesn't make sense. So I gave them five different levels between it's not going to affect my decision to hire A over B all the way to, I will definitely hire A over B. So all had the uh, that range between no preference and five. I'm still analyzing the results, but I can tell you one thing, and that is the two strongest components of my relative trust model that affected the decision to hire one over the other are no BS, and empathy, both of them are the subcomponents of positivity. They're stronger than all the others. Again, not sharing the results specifically yet. Uh, I will do that uh, when I write an article, uh, and then I, I continue to do the survey, the, the research, because I, I still wanna do some correlation. So the two strongest ones in trustworthiness overall, out of 32, well, out of the, the six components, main components, uh, is positivity, or the two subcomponents of positivity, the fact that the financial advisors does not BS you, and that they care about you, empathy. <music> the next part in the survey was really the uh, the trust premium, the calculation of the trust premium. But after that, I asked questions about other factors uh, outside of the trustworthiness of the financial advisor. By the way, I should add that within those 32 components, I also included the transferability, how does that affect uh, uh, the the decision and the uh, specific financial advisor context. Uh, Like for example, one of them is how does the fact that he or she uh, own their own company and have a stake in the company. How does that affect your decision to choose one versus the other when the other is not? the other is is just an employee there. Uh, so the next section was other factors and those included personal context. they includes included trustfulness. So this is the the survey taker, the customer uh, what how do they consider trustfulness? So you, you know one question is uh, people are generally trusted. Uh, you know, you think that uh, everybody there put the uh, highest score on that? No, they didn't. So trustfulness, I looked at, uh, at trust in general, my willingness to trust in general, my willingness to trust financial advisors. So this is still trustfulness because it's not a specific financial advisor, but just how do people see this uh, profession? Uh, do they see people who practice this profession as trust? as trusted in general you know uh, maybe one of the next ones should be a used car salesman uh and and it would uh, you know at some point it would be um but uh and and by the way just so that you know the sales the car salesman that i trust the most is actually a used car salesman not not in general a very specific one i don't know that that i have a high trust uh in used car salespeople in general but i have high trust in one of them. Then I asked about industry context. So this is kind of how does the uh, view, the the respondent see different things. And and I gave a seven point scale that goes all the way from strongly disagree to strongly agree. So it's strongly disagree, generally disagree, somewhat disagree, neutral, uh, somewhat agree, generally agree and strongly agree. Uh, So those uh, would be questions. I'm actually looking at the results right now as, as I'm talking to you, um, you know, for example, to what degree uh, do you agree or disagree with the following statement? If I hire the wrong financial advisor, there will be significant negative consequences to me. So that's uh, that's part of uh, that's another one of the components that that I mentioned before, the consequences to me. So I just uh, th- this is my perspective. This is not how I decide to hire a over B, but this is how I look at things such as, for example, the significance of the consequences of making the wrong, of choosing the wrong financial advisor. Uh, I'm going to take these and correlate them to other factors, to other things, to the premium itself and see how they, for example, affect the premium. So I'm going to be looking at the premium and then um, see how the different factors affect the premium. What this will do is several things within an industry, it would actually allow, allow me and, and whoever my customers for that are going to be, in this case, financial advisors, it would allow us to know that there are certain customers that give a higher premium, and this is what, what uh, describes them. These are their demographics. Um, and the, the second thing is it would allow me to see how things change across different industries. <music> The last section was again demographics. Uh, this time, uh, I focused on age, gender. Well, age and gender were up at the front uh, to for better distribution. But then I asked about marital status, number of dependents, education level, employment status, annual household income. I categorized them, by the way, a little differently than what uh, typically the, the way you typically see those. Uh, well, gender, not so much, but, uh, for example, age, um, and I distributed, I changed the, the groups to ages where certain things happen. You know, the, the age when, uh, you are in college right after college, you're on your own, an age that you're more likely to be married, an age you're more likely to have kids and and so on, uh, an age in which you're getting retirement uh, payments and, and so on. So, um. Education level. Education level is pretty uh, straightforward. Employment status. Uh, annual household income. Again, I distributed a little differently than, than others, uh, kind of putting this in the uh, percentile categories uh, of income uh, here at the U.S. I also added another question that was more on the financial situation, but it's not, you know, I asked about household income, but uh, if you're making $180,000, are you rich? A year, are you rich? Or your household is making it. Uh, if you're making $250,000, are you rich? Uh, and the answer is, well, it it depends on on where you are. Uh, in the U.S., uh, you know, in California, it takes a lot more money to uh, to get to the same uh, quality of living than it does in Texas and, and in other places. So I decided to add a personal perspective and actually ask, how do you consider your own financial situation? Are you barely making it? Are you staying above water? I'm making. Uh, I managed to put money into savings. I'm just. I'm doing just fine. I have more than I need. So I, I gave those options, and then the last one. I, I'm not even sure why I added that. And that was multiple choices. You could choose as many as you'd like. Uh, how do you feel today? And I put a, a variety of emotions. Um, and you know, at some point, I'm going to try and correlate that. I I collected a lot of information to be able to later analyze and see relationships that maybe we never thought about. So I kind of erred on the side of adding more questions, taking the risk that more questions would, would potentially cause um, survey takers to, to maybe not be as serious as before, but um, you know it, it's still manageable. 86 questions is still manageable. So this is it. Uh, this is the end of this episode. Uh, let's summarize it. First of all, financial advisors can make 41% higher fees if their customers trust them more than the alternative. And, and this is important. You can make 41% higher fees. By the way, and you get like, uh, what was it? It, it? it was 90%, I'm sorry, 95% that you get the business if you charge the same price. And that's, that's important as well. Um, for the financial advisors here who are listening, here's what's in it for you. My next step is to assess or, or you know, if, if I start working with financial advisors, the next step is that we now assess the trustworthiness, your trustworthiness or your employees' trustworthiness with your clients. It will tell you what the trust premium you may be able to charge is to get new clients and to keep the current clients that you have. It will even tell you how likely you are to lose customers for a cheaper alternative. Because the lower the trustworthiness is, the lower the premium is, the trust premium is, which means that it's easier for somebody else. The the, the discount somebody else has to offer is smaller for them to take away your customer. Uh, It will tell you how likely you are to lose customers to a more trusted alternative, because if you don't rank or your people don't rank high on trustworthiness, it's gonna be easier for somebody who ranks higher to take away customers. But eventually it's it will tell you how you or your people rank in your trustworthiness in the eyes of your customers And therefore, what is the trust premium and your customer retention can be? And at the end, really, my goal is to build a customized training program for you to increase the trustworthiness, to increase the trust premium, to increase the probability of getting new customers, getting higher fees, and not losing customers. As far as the study itself, uh, first, I will now start analyzing correlation relationships between personal industry context consequences and so on and the trust premium Um, what personal and industry context affected the the willingness to pay the trust premium because in different industries it's going to be different context elements as well as the importance of the different trustworthiness component or in other words how different components of the relative trust model are affecting trustworthiness in a specific industry. I will continue to do that with different industries to get better variability and better calculate the correlation. Because obviously, in a certain industry, certain parameters are going to be very similar and it's going to be hard to see how they affect the trust premium. But as as I start getting different industries where those parameters and variables are different, then I can start to see the correlation as they affect the trust premium differently. Okay, I'm done. Bottom line, I am amazed at the results. I'm really excited of this project and, and the implications that it has. It's the first time somebody has done something like this So, I mean, hopefully you can sense from my voice how excited I am. Well, that's it for today. May trust be with you. This is The Trust Show. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it, write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website trusthabits.com and remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure can i trust you and can you trust me thank you for listening or watching the trust show